Welcome back, everybody. There are only a few things in life that we are certain of. Death, taxes, and change. Do you look at change as an opportunity or something you'd rather not experience? Do you expect that that new system that's being installed will go smoothly or that there will be a number of bumps in the road? How many times have you had to change during this pandemic? As a leader, how do you manage change? I have always, for as long as I can remember, looked at change as an opportunity. I embrace change. I have no desire to go back to the way that things were in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or 2000s. Do you want to go back to the introduction of the World Wide Web as an internet service? Back to you've got mail and snail slow dial-up internet speeds? For those of you who have purchased a new car over the last few years, are you willing to give up the new technology and go back to rolling up your own windows with a crank? Or not having the blindside mirror warning system? Or the ability to parallel park hands-free? For most of us, the answer is a resounding no. Change is good in many ways. Change comes at us in two ways, designed or imposed. Design change is when we know that the change is going to happen. Imposed change is when we have no say in the change. But did you know that when change occurs, it can be both designed and imposed? How could that be? The perspective of the creator of the change and the receiver of the change are very different. When you have top-down decision-making from the C-suite, their perspective is that they have designed this change for the good of the organization. For example, the C-suite team has decided to restructure the organization because of poor performance and loss of significant market share. When the restructure is announced to the organization, the rest of the organization had no prior knowledge because they were not consulted. This now is imposed change. Imposed change pushed down on an organization leads to employees feeling stress, anxiety, and fear. Will they have a job? Will their pay be cut? Will they have to relocate to keep their job? Obviously, this kind of imposed change can be a real negative in many ways and does not create a highly productive workforce. Would the above situation be better if those in the C-suite consulted with all departments, along with talking to key customers, key suppliers, and other stakeholders? Hold on. Whoa, easy there. They would do what? Okay, I, I hear you laughing, and I can see you rolling your eyes. However, have you ever heard of Xerox? Yes, Xerox. In 2000, the CEO, Richard Tommen, resigned his position that he had held for less than one year. According to the May 11th, 2000 CNN Money article titled Xerox CEO Steps Down, the share price of Xerox at that time was $25.50, down from its 12-month high of $62.63. During Tommen's tenure, there were a number of issues that negatively affected the company, like the company was losing market share to the competitors, plus a whole lot more. In 2001, Annie Mulcahy was named the new CEO and was tasked with turning the organization around. 
Mulcahy had worked for Xerox for 24 years, and 16 of those years, she was in sales. When Tolman resigned, she was promoted to President and Chief Operating Officer, and then to CEO. According to the article titled, Annie Mulcahy, The Keys and Turnaround Xerox, from Insights by Stanford Graduate School of Business, she was inheriting a company on the verge of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The company had over $17 billion in debt and had recorded losses in each of the preceding six years. A recent reorganization of the company's sales force had not gone according to plan. Customers were unhappy and the economy had started to falter. On top of all of that, Xerox found itself in the middle of a protracted investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission of accounting improprieties in its Mexican unit. Mulcahy was under a lot of pressure from the board to turn this company around quickly. However, Mulcahy viewed her position as the chief communication officer and emphasizing the importance of listening to customers and employees. When I became CEO, I spent the first 90 days on planes traveling to various offices and listening to anyone who had a perspective on what was wrong with this company. If you spend as much time listening as talking, that's time well spent. Mulcahy believes that effective communication consists of honesty and confidence, especially during a corporate crisis. She states, when your organization is struggling, you have to give people the sense that you know what's happening and that you have a strategy to fix it. Beyond that, you have to tell people what they can do to help. She gave people a choice. Let's get to work and fix the problem or leave the company. That simple. Mulcahy was asked by an employee to describe what Xerox would look like when it was restored under her plan. Most CEOs would have crafted some new vision statement for the new Xerox. Not her. She created a fictitious Wall Street Journal article describing Xerox in the year 2005. We outlined the things we hoped to accomplish as though we'd already achieved them, said Mulcahy. We included performance metrics, even quotes from the Wall Street analysts. It was really our vision of what we wanted the company to become. When the plan was developed and was being rolled out, Mulcahy spent a lot of time on airplanes visiting those who provided her with feedback, along with visiting and communicating with all stakeholders on how the turnaround would be implemented. This was her way of getting buy-in. She told her stakeholders, this is what you shared with me, and here's how your feedback is going to change the path of our company. This is effective 360-degree communication. The article, Annie Mulcahy, The Keys to Turnaround at Xerox, was written after she shared her story with a group of students and faculty at Stanford University Graduate School of Business. One student asked her, what keeps her up at night? And I actually, I love this question. What keeps you up at night? She replied, I think I'm more motivated by fear of failure than a desire to succeed. My experience at Xerox has taught me that crisis is a very powerful motivator. It forces you to make choices that you probably wouldn't have made otherwise. It intensifies your focus, your competitiveness, and your relentless desire to obtain the best-in-class status. I want to do everything I can to make sure that we don't lose that now that we're back on track. The purpose of sharing this story is that it's an excellent example of improv leadership. Improv leadership consists of the following principles. 
respect, trust, support, listen, focus, adapt, and the philosophy of yes and. Mulcahy demonstrated improv leadership initially when she instituted her 90-day listening tour. As she stated earlier, listening to anyone who had a perspective on what was wrong with the company, I think if you spend as much time listening as talking, that's time well spent. By asking the questions, listening to different perspectives, and not getting defensive and being focused and present in each conversation, something magical happened. The respect and trust for Mulcahy from those being interviewed grew exponentially because when you listen to understand a conversation, parking your ego and agenda and being focused on the other person's thoughts and ideas without interrupting, respect and trust is the result. She wasn't telling them her idea on how she was going to fix the problem. She wanted to know their thoughts and by doing so, she empowered them. When was the last time you actually listened to understand when you were soliciting thoughts and ideas for another person? When you do this, you're gathering bits and pieces of critical information in order to solve the problem at hand. Too many C-suite leaders are afraid to solicit thoughts and ideas from others on the team or in the organization because of the myth that you need to have all the answers and solve all the problems. I have always said the collective knowledge outside of your office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside your office. Collaborating with others and working as a group solves problems quicker. When you collaborate, you are in essence, co-creating with the team and or the organization. By doing so, you've adopted the yes and principle and you keep conversations moving forward in a positive manner, all the while adapting to whatever's being thrown at you and your team. Your role as a leader in the organization is to continually develop the people, their talent, and their potential, and their ability to adapt to change. This is empowerment. This is effective communication. This is thriving amidst change and rising to even greater success and achievement. This is leadership in hyperdrive powered by improv. If you'd like to learn more about improv leadership, please contact me at peter at petermargaritas.com. Stay positive, test negative. Thank you. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.